Hello, party people. My name is Desiree Morton, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Agency. And this is the Just Founder podcast, where we interview founders that are building for equitable impact, scale, and profit. Um, today, I'm super excited to bring on a new ghost, um, ghost guest, <laughs> which is ghost is a mix between guest and host. Um, okay, so I should have asked you how to pronounce your name, Nikem. In chem, like you're in chemistry. In chem. Class. In chem. Uh, we did that last time. Okay, yeah. see, we got we got organics here. So, um, all right. So the I will start. Is Ojedo. Silent. Oh. You can say silent G. Ojedo. Ojedo. In chem. Yeah. Ojedo. Thank you yeah. for for walking me through that. Okay, let's do your. Let me let me introduce you properly. Um, <laughs> so, a Queens, New York native, in chem is the founder of Ada, a marketplace that connects Black chefs and culinary creators with companies for inclusive team building events. Previously, she worked in management consulting and was the chief of staff of wellness tech startup Care Of from Series B to acquisition. Her professional mission is to create equitable economies in which Black communities thrive. She holds a BS in chemical engineering from Yale University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> you have been busy. <laughs> I'm trying, girl. I'm trying. <laughs> I, I read this. I read this bio, and I'm like, my goodness, what? What do you do in your free time? Like, what? <laughs> Watch Bravo TV, Real Housewives. Oh, okay. I was gonna ask, what is what is the show? Okay, Real Housewives. Which one is your favorite? Um, my favorite is Atlanta, of course. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. I love it. I love, of course, yes, ATL is a, a great place to be. Um, okay, so thank you again for being here. Let's get started in talking about um, what you're building. What 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 is it that you're that you're working on most of the time these days? Yes. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Ada is an online platform to book Black chefs for catering opportunities, for virtual cooking classes, virtual mixology experiences. You know, we are the only chef marketplace dedicated to global Black food culture. And by that, I mean foods from communities across Africa and her diasporas, right? The Caribbean, America, Europe, really everywhere around the world where Black people are at are delicious food cultures. Um, and it's amazing because we know so much about Italian food, about Mexican food, about French food, right, in particular, um, but rarely are culinary traditions from Black communities truly centered in food media or in conversations in cooking. Uh, so one of our missions is to showcase these delicious traditions, um, but more importantly, the makers behind them. I love that. I didn't know that you did um, mixology. Yes. What kind of uh, ingredients or um, flavors are most popular um, in your mm. in your classes overall? You know, so what I love about it is that, of, of course, as I just mentioned, we're focusing on foods of the Africa and her diaspora. It's really focused on the food entrepreneurs themselves and the creations mm. that they're making. And so certainly some people create dishes and drinks that center maybe their Caribbean heritage, right? So we have an amazing um, mixologist on our platform that does happy hour at home, um, uh, Camille, and she's amazing. And, you know, she has all these delicious Caribbean inspired flavors. And also she creates global, uses global flavors in her, in her drinks, you know, as do, you know, chefs also, you know, have global flavors in their cuisine. So, you know, we're so used to like a white guy doing Thai cuisine, right? But sometimes people, there's that gap when you think of 
a black chef or a black mixologist or a drink maker and maybe they're you know funneling them into their own um cultural background which again we love and obsessed with like yeah. that's mainly i'm eating foods from when i go to the kitchen that i made eating nigerian food southern food caribbean food mm. you know um and also you know we think it's important for these culinary creators to express across the sort of global cuisine too that's incredible i love um i love the way that you're focusing on not only the the food experience or the drink experience but on the experience in with being in community with Mm-hmm. Um, did you call them food creators? Food, I forgot exactly what the language you used was, but I was just like, oh, culinary I love creators. that. <laughs> culinary creators. Like that, that, um, that is really interesting to me because, um, you know, I am half black American, um, and I would say like lacking just a lot of historical context beyond a certain point in history, mm. right? In terms of, um, African diasporic experiences and flavors and um, lineage and Mm. how I know that food is important to our cultures and that so much has passed through, um, but so much of it got lost. And so I just think that's incredibly, um, it's like next level, right? It's like, not only are you getting to have this experience with your team or with uh, your exploration of of the meal, but also with um, this creator. Can you talk a little bit more about um, yeah, just kind of like any stories that you might have of folks, you know, being in space with those creators and just uh, really kind of connecting with them in a different way. Absolutely. You know, I always say that food is the ultimate cre- ultimate connector and mm-hmm. is like the universal love language. So you mentioned that so much is lost, but I would actually challenge that because I think that we food can evoke memories that we don't even know exist when you, you know, are part of that culinary experience. So, for example, um, I did a virtual event with a phenomenal chef based here in New York, um, Chef Alana. She is of Caribbean descent and she was um, she had, you know, this delicious menu that was certainly like seasonal, but had Caribbean influences. in particular, she's from Trinidad. Mm. So people were eating the food, enjoying the food. And then there were, you know, Nigerians on the call saying, oh, wow, this tastes like suya. You know, there was a Guyanese person on the call saying, wow, this reminds me of what my grandma used to make, you know, back in the day. There was a Chinese person on the call. There's a lot of like Chinese influence in the Caribbean, right? And so the person was like, oh, wow, this actually tastes just like something my uncle used to do. Um, You know, this is so funny. And then people were just going back and forth about their food histories and food memories and their family histories and family memories. You know, there's a reason why the dinner table is a space where conversations are had across cultures, right, across communities. Um, So that's just one example of this delicious menu that we're able to enjoy together and how it just evokes so many memories across so many cultures that you you don't even expect, you know. Um, And at the end of the day, you're like, oh, wow, I guess I do have a lot in common with like Mike from accounting or whatever it is. (laughs) Yes. Like it's like uh, culinary string theory. (laughs) You're like making these connections between these um, seemingly disconnected cultures and experiences. Right. Where where two folks maybe would have never made that connection on their own. Well, very likely would have never made that connection on their own. It's Absolutely. Um, an opportunity to find commonality, even while kind of celebrating that that diversity and differentiation. Exactly. That's incredible. 
Yes. Um, I should I should name. I think I named this before we started, but my kids are home from school. So if anyone on the podcast can hear them, they are <laughs> they are not being harmed. <laughs> Four year old twins, and they just always sound like they might be being harmed, but they're not. Oh else. boy. Uh, <laughs> um, so I love that so much. Okay, so um, for anyone who has joined, you know, or or been invited, or maybe been voluntold to come to a, a team building activity, um, you know, there, there might be some like some hesitation. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share what you might say to them about, you know, being invited to an Ada experience um, and how that might how that might feel and be different for them? Absolutely. Um, I know there's noise in the back, so let me wait for this car to go by, but <laughs> You know, listen, team building events are notoriously corny, okay? Like, I, too, <laughs> roll my eyes when I get the invite to, like, hang out, you know, force fun with my coworkers. The New York uh, just came right on out. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I think the thing that often does bring people to the events is the, you know, the promise of free food, yeah. right? Which is telling, right? We do love food. Do. Uh, you know, I would say for a Adai experiences... The, the beauty of it is that um, not only can you enjoy delicious food, but also celebrate diversity in a way that's authentic and not performative. Ooh. You know, I think so many co- companies Ooh. try to do that. Di- okay, let's pause for that. I'm like, let's- yes, can we say that again? That- <laughs> Authenticity, not performance. So Ooh, many companies you just drop the bars. Do- okay. <laughs> Catch my breath. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I think people are often well, have great intentions, but just don't really have the context or the background to show up in a way that doesn't, again, feel really, really corny. Yes. Um, and so for us, we put the power in the experience in, in the hands of these culinary artists, these creators who are telling the stories that they are of, of their backgrounds, of their upbringing, of their heritage, of their global experience mm-hmm. through food. Again, the universal love language. Um, yes. And I think you're, you'd be so surprised by how fun it is to cook with your team or to cook with people or to learn a new skill. Even if you're someone who hates the kitchen, I am always surprised during our virtual cooking classes or in-person experiences how much people open up after 15 minutes, 30 minutes of, you know, your hands in the dough or you're chopping an onion and someone's, you know, it's reminding you of something and, you know, yeah. you're, you're having all these sort of holistic and by that I mean visual sense taste you know your mind is being exposed to new ideas experiences so so we're less corny than the typical building team building event I would say <laughs> I love I love that oh you're like we're not I'm not gonna say we're zero corny but <laughs> you know what I, mean? it's still I mean it's still your work you know <laughs> um I know I know that feeling I um yeah there's I mean I think I had read or something like years back that like your sense of smell is like one of the strongest, you know, mm-hmm. um, sensory experiences tied to memory. And even as you're talking about like the smell of onions as they're kind of, you know, sauteing and you're getting ready to, to add in your next ingredient. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, I am there. I smell it. I feel yeah. it. Um, and it lights up a certain part of my brain. So that's really cool. And I mean, I would say, you know, if nothing else, you walk away with a new, a new recipe and a new knowledge. And so even if, you know, the time with your team was a little corny, like you said, <laughs> take it back to, you know, celebrate with Bay or with partner or with best friend and um, show them what you learned. So that's, that's always cool to walk away with, with something that you can also share with others that you 
exactly. And not just the skill, but I think also, you know, so much of human history is told through food. You know, you can talk about the history of the transatlantic slave trade and how slaves carried or formerly enslaved people carried rice in their braids, you know, which, you know, and, you know, the 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 relation between jollof rice and Carolina red rice and jambalaya and gumbo and okra soup and all these things. Um, All all of us, all communities, all cultures have these stories that are handed Mm -hmm. down through the kitchen. Um, So it's not only skills you're learning, but also some history. I love that. That's so cool. I'm like, I'm going to go. Hey, girl, pull up. I don't have a team, but like, can I just just pop into somebody else's? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be quiet. I'll just like be over here cooking. Um, No, that's incredible. That's so cool. Um, Because also learning history is boring, right? (laughs) That's it. Sorry. That's a, that's a subjective statement. I'm mm-hmm. sure there are some history majors out there who love it. Um, it's not my jam, but I, I am very much a hands-on um, learner, and I love stories. And so um, what I'm hearing from you is, like, it goes so far beyond what you're making, right? It, it really goes into that storytelling and sharing. Um, Absolutely. And the food is almost just like a vehicle to, to take exactly. you. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> Okay, so how have your, um, you know, your personal lived experiences and identities informed this founder journey? Um, you know, founding founding a company is not easy. So, kind of, what keeps you going, and what what is uh, what's at the heart of this for you? Oof, you know, so so I I'm like you mentioned, I'm from New York, born and raised here, um, to Nigerian parents. I'm from Southeast Queens, which is a very diverse black middle-class neighborhood, um, you know, Africans, Americans, Caribbeans, etc. And so I grew up with like so many delicious things around me. Yeah. Um, also obsessed with the Food Network. So I would like watch Rachel Ray every day and be so confused as to why she was always doing like some kind of pasta. And I'm like, when are we going to make roti? Mm. When are we making, you know, fried rice? When are we doing some jerk chicken? Like, why are you always talking about the same things? Mm. Um, and I think also uh, I you know, went to school in Lower Manhattan and was also very exposed to the disparities that we see in any major city, including a city like New York, at a very early age. You know, like why are the streets in front of my house crooked, but when I go to my, um, you know, classmates' houses, everything is the, the buses are coming every five minutes. You know, everything is a very different experience. Um, And so I saw very early, like, the disparities that exist not only in our media, but also, you know, physically in the way we lived. And I saw, I felt that money was really the differentiating factor there, that people um, listened to the wealthiest people in the room, whether or not they were the smartest or the nicest or whatever it is. Uh, But cash truly rules everything around us. Yeah. and so after, you know, going to college and finishing up my MBA, I was convinced that the most effective way to, to create change, to create the life that you want to see, um, is, is through entrepreneurship. And to create, I think, more like uh, community-wide change is to align financial incentives with the values that you want to see. Uh, And, you know, specifically, if you can create sustainable and attractive businesses that promote those values that we care about, diversity, justice, equity, et cetera, then perhaps more people would be motivated to do the same, motivated by the dollars, not by their actual values. Because, again, I I gave up on the idea that, like, people are motivated by an intrinsic sense of good and bad. It's like 
everybody just wants cash at the end of the day. We live in a capitalist society. It is what it is. Um, And so I worked in consulting. I worked in startups. And a few years ago, I figured there was no time like the present to strike it out on my own. Uh, And, you know, building this, this business in this way as a marketplace where we are only paid when our food entrepreneurs are paid, right? We take a cut off of transactions on the marketplace. That was a very intentional decision. I think a lot about cooperative businesses and um, ways to think, you know, really build in community with folks and and to build marketplaces that actually work for the vendors on the marketplace, unlike what we're seeing in some of the biggest ones, (laughs) Amazon, (laughs) Uber, (laughs) right? Where, you know, you don't want your vendors suing suing you all the time or be stressed out, be forced. (laughs) To, to to list on you because of the market factors, aka monopolies that you created, right? We yeah. don't have to get into that, but you know, thinking about how I wanted a dot to to exist in the world is very much in collaboration with all stakeholders. Um, okay. And ultimately our, our mission is to help as many black entrepreneurs build the businesses of their dreams and on their own terms. Um, so right now, less than 5% of the revenues for, black, um, for food, um, food service businesses go to Black-owned businesses. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't Black chefs or Black culinary creators or phenomenal Black culinary traditions, because we all know who got the best, who got the best food. Come on now. We, got the <laughs> we do. Got the best taste. We got the, ask, ask Keith Lee. Ask Keith who got the best food. He's going to tell you. <laughs> not the Keith Lee shout out, yes. Okay. You're not too pleased with Atlanta right now. So I know, yeah, yeah. Y'all need to get together with it. I cannot comment. Um, <laughs> I um, love that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not I I have so I'm like, huh. Oh, yes, no. So so just to you know finish things. Ultimately, you know, our mission is and my mission is to again support black entrepreneurship, funnel as much money into black pockets as possible because we have seen that the true path to liberation is, is is financial stability, right? And being able to really own your time, which I think entrepreneurship allows one to do. I love that. I think we're so aligned in that way. Um, and it's just like, there's so many things that you said that I'm just like, oh, I should have been taking notes. Um, <laughs> the, the first thing that really comes to mind is that intentionality, right? What I hear when you're talking is just, um, these kind of micro decision points in how you built your business. And again, like super intentional in how does this impact the, you know, the vendors, how does this impact their livelihood? How does this, how can we make this work? Um, not only for us as potentially the, the power holders, right? The, the mm-hmm. folks who um, mm-hmm. have the tech, but also um, make this a, a platform that, that, provides value in a variety of ways to um, our partners, our vendors, our stakeholders. Like, I think that's just an incredible thing to highlight because I think so many founders who come from marginalized, overlooked backgrounds do that. Like, that's like a part of how of our ethos because we know what it's like to be yeah. taken advantage of, right? We Absolutely. know what it's like to be powerless, Um or to be, you know, kind of muscled into things that don't work for us. And so I just love that. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, I love that. And I 100% like deeply agree um, yeah. with that kind of ethos in building the business. And you can do it profitably. Like it's possible. You can. Um, so that was kind of, that was one like thing that really stood out to me. 
Um, and then I think another one was this, um, this like kind of bigger vision, right. That, that you shared, um, it really aligned with, with mine because when I did research on, you know, su- supplier diversity, <laughs> uh, which is kind of our, our lane that we're in, um, most of it, like the vast, vast majority, I don't remember the exact percentage of it, but most of it goes to just a couple of big corporations. Yep. Um, and so these are corporations that are, you know, have to be predominantly 51% or more owned by um, someone within an um basically like a BIPOC person or um, uh, a woman. Um, Those are kind of the two different types of certifications. But it's like almost all of it is going to like, there's like a couple of corporations, a handful that are huge that are also meet those requirements. And that's where that money is going. And so when you think about kind of the future of our country, the future Mm -hmm. of our, of our livelihood, of our society, of our world, if all of the money going from corporations is going to other corporations <laughs> that are already established. What's the difference? What's the this, change? Right. How, how are, you know, emerging um, entrepreneurs and founders going to ever reach a place of sustainability where they can have the impacts in their, you know, their communities. Um, so that so deeply resonated with me too. Cause I'm like, yep. yes, yes. Yes, entrepreneurship no, is, is the game changer for sure. Go ahead. Totally. And the systems that exist to to make that the reality, right? Like think about the the cost and the effort that it takes to get a minority certification. Yes. Most entrepreneurs don't have, you know, small entrepreneurs can't even, you know, don't have enough working capital to buy supplies for the next event, yes. let alone spend time and money to apply for this certification to maybe get a contract somewhere somehow you know so uh, yeah the systems the systems rigged <laughs> yes you have to have um, <laughs> I think you have to have two years of, of w-2s filed before you mm-hmm. can even start the process and pay all of the money right. to get certified and it's like I gotta pay you money to prove that I'm, <laughs> that I'm black like I'm black I'm... I'm right that I'm a woman <laughs> no, like like I I, there are other ways to prove this. This is so strange to me that I have to pay you money, government. <laughs> like, yes. and, and, you know, so many, so many small businesses fail before they get to that two years because we don't right. have access right. to the friends and family. We don't have access to, you know, our parents to, to kind of bankroll or fund, you know, our lives while we focus on our businesses for a couple of years unprofitably. Like, we mm-hmm. just don't have those things. And so, yeah, we're just recreating the same system. So, huh. I would go on. I mean, obviously, I think we could probably talk about this all day, but I think it's important for, you know, for the the HR professional, the decision maker um, listening to this to to just know how kind of out of touch those existing programs are mm-hmm. and what an impact you can have when you spend your dollar with um, a marketplace like a DA that is so sustainably passing on that wealth to other business holders, um, owners, as opposed to hoarding it and holding it. Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, there's, there's so much depth there. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Um, all right. So the next question is, um, one that I, I love folks answers to, how are you balancing impact and being a for-profit business? Mm -hmm. Um, I think you talked a bit about that, but like, what's the hardest part here, um, for you and your, in your business? Yeah. You know, 
similar to what you said earlier, I definitely don't think these things are, you know, complete yeah. opposites. I think they very much can and should coexist because every decision that business owners make is, in fact, an intentional decision, yes. um, right? So people can choose to have a negative impact and often mm. do. Mm. Don't talk about Ooh. that, but that's a choice <laughs> that is very commonly made by lots of businesses, including the I'm just saying, including the people that we put up as geniuses in the world, they're choosing to make decisions that have negative impacts every day. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, so I think for me, honestly, the hardest part is mental. You know, I think it's um, existing in the society where the norm, again, is to make business decisions that are so selfish, that are only care about the dollar and the dollar specifically for shareholders, not for anybody else. Yes. Um, and, you know, being the sole, what seems to feel like the sole voice that wants to do something different and people looking at you like, what is this girl talking about? That is not how you do business. <laughs> As if business wasn't the construct that we all created. We can define how we do it and who we don't do it. It's not set in stone. Ooh, yes. Yep. You know? Um, so, like, from a principled perspective, I, <laughs> it's kind of funny that I'm, I'm going to say this, but I don't really trust corporations, <laughs> you know? Because, uh, again, the incentives that we currently have and normalize in our society, I think, are fundamentally flawed and inhumane um and you know i'm currently the owner of a corporation and so (laughs) my biggest challenge is how do i stay true to myself and my values while operating within the system that is set up for folks like you and me to fail or to become so frustrated that we give up Mm. yes or to conform right i I feel like that's the the kind of the third the third option um is to just say like okay i'm gonna do it the way that you do it or the way that you have told me I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to extract, right? That, that is the, yes. what you're describing, right? That, um, that focus on the bottom line, that is extractive. Like you're pulling that, uh, almost always you're pulling that from folks who are, you know, um, who have less power, who have less mm-hmm. wealth um, mm-hmm. than you do. And so, yeah, that resonates really deeply. I think, um, I mean, you aren't alone. So I think that that's yeah. part of the, the, you know, the real value and beauty in having these conversations because I've talked to other founders who feel the same way. It's just like, yeah, I keep getting told over and over and over again that I'm not doing this right, but I am, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciate that, that transparency and vulnerability. Um, yeah, I would say it's not to say, you know, cause I think people sometimes hear this and think, well, you're not competitive, you're not cut out to be in the business world. And so it's not to say that you shouldn't strive to achieve your goals or to make money. I'm not doing this for out of, I got a expensive lifetime I'm trying to maintain, you know what I'm saying? I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to have a certain lifestyle or, you know, create a certain life for yourself. Again, my mission is to funnel money into people's pockets. I'm about, I'm in the business of making money. I think um, there is a limit though right? There is a sort of, I think we need more guardrails, more humane guardrails as we do business to think about when am I taking it too far? Yeah. When is this now abusive, extractive? You know, I, I remember having a conversation with one of my classmates and friends from business school and he was like, uh, there's that movie Wall Street, I think from the 80s or 90s, where there's that famous quote, greed is good. Mm. You know, and we were having this debate and he was like, I mean, isn't greed good? Like, hasn't it driven blah, 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 innovation in the world and X, Y, Z? And I'm like, okay. And like, how many people are living in poverty? How many people are literally 
being killed because yes. people want access to their natural resources. How many people can't feed their families? Like we forget all about that. We only talk about quote unquote innovation as if innovation is predicated on extraction. Like yeah. that just makes sense. <laughs> um, so, so I just yes. want to be very clear. I'm all about making money. I'm all about commerce and profit, but there has to be, I think a um, limit, a humane, lens around which we engage with each other in, in the world of commerce. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, you know, what I was trying to get to, which is like, um, I mean, for us, right. I think the, the sometimes I've heard the question of like, well, why aren't you like a nonprofit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? No, this is not nonprofit work. Um, right. And so, right. There is that, you know, this, um, what is it? The balancing, right? The balancing act and the, the kind of like the, what is the word? Almost like the deservability that like we deserve to be able to build for profit entities. Um, and we deserve to be able to do that in a way that is, is humane, that is um, considering all of our stakeholders as stakeholders and not mm-hmm. saying, oh, those are just like the chefs. So like, they'll just, you know, they'll do, they'll take what they can or they'll do this. That is, I think, where, um, where you lose that, you know, what you're saying that whatever that, that kind of line is um, in terms of ethics and, um, and centering that impact. It is, how do we consider all of the folks um, who are involved with our business? And so many corporations are saying my entry level my entry level employees are not stakeholders, they're disposable mm-hmm. resources, right? right? right. Um, and so I think that's like the key difference in terms of how you're building intentionally. Um, and yes, get that money. Um, you deserve well. to build wealth for your, <laughs> for your folks too. Um, yes. You know, this is not a zero sum by any means. So um, I, yes, snaps, snaps all the <laughs> <now. laughs> I often get that nonprofit question too. And it's so funny because I'm like, Y'all know that nonprofits make profits, right? They just reinvest their profits back into leadership salaries. I <laughs> don't know that. I don't know. No, they don't know that. It sounds good. Sounds anyway. Good. Oh, it's this little nonprofit, right? It's always like the, did this things. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I, I have a whole soapbox about nonprofits. And the... <laughs> Me too. Let's not get started. <laughs> Let's not. Um, <laughs> What, okay, so let's talk. I'm going to pivot a bit. I want to talk um, about your pricing. So if there is, um, let's say, an ERG leader out there who's listening in and is like, this sounds really cool. We'd love to do this. Like, yeah. what are we, you know, what is this? How is this possible? What, what, how does this work? What would you say to them? Absolutely. So I would say check out our marketplace. You can browse through all the options and profiles of virtual classes and chef profiles of their menus available and filter through what makes sense for you. Um, As I mentioned, we are really putting the power in our community, in our chef community, these culinary creators. And so they set their own prices. Um, On average, I would say for our virtual classes, typically things are priced per person. Um, So on average, our virtual classes are between 20 to $40 per person, probably more if you're asking for um, kits to be sent to your home. And in-person catering options can certainly range, uh, you know, small bites or buffet style might be closer to 20, 10, 15 to 20, you know, prices 
food prices are going up. <laughs> so 20 ish per person, um, all the way up to, you know, over a hundred, even $200 for really elaborate, beautiful, fine dining level dining experiences. Super cool. And the in-person, so I guess um, for both of these, are they US wide or in-person focused in New York? Kind of what's that, what's that look like? Yes. Yeah, so um, virtual experiences, of course, are US wide. We even have chefs in across the world in Ghana, et cetera. Um, and our in-person, yes, uh, our in-person experiences right now are based in New York. Very cool. Yeah, I'm going to come. Yes. <laughs> I have no reason to come to New York. <laughs> to eat food? I think that That's a I great reason. <laughs> I'll, I'll expense it. I'm like, oh yeah, I take a business meeting. Um, just kidding, IRS, don't come for me. Um, <laughs> I love that so much. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, did I miss anything? Um, I mean, you mentioned the marketplace. Let's let's spell it out. How do we get there? I'll add the link in, in the description, but also just like, you know, give us the full plug. Like we don't want to lose yes. a person. How do we get there? So check us out, Ada Experiences at withada.co. That's W-I-T-H-A-D-A dot C-O. You can also follow us on Instagram at Experiences. That's both both on Instagram and on TikTok. Are there food pictures on your... <laughs> yes, there are definitely food pictures. But you know what we love to do, actually? We love to tell some of these, like, food history stories, right? So, like, the story of how jerk was created by the Maroons in the mountains in Jamaica, and they smoked the meats underground so that their enslavers wouldn't find them as they were, you know... And that's how literally jerk, as we know it, was created. Or we talk about a journey of watermelon from Asia to the Americas and how watermelon was used as a tool to dissuade black food entrepreneurs who were selling watermelon on the side of the street from continuing to build their businesses. And so racist Americans created these stereotypes about watermelon. So we tell those types of food stories, but also show delicious food images too. That's incredible. I, oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, well, I'm definitely following. Um, I'm definitely following. (laughs) First of all, I'm going to be hungry. Second of all, I'm going to be educated. I love that. Um, All right. So let's, Black History Month is a couple months away. Do you book up for Black History Month? We sure do. So, you know, and I would say chefs book up too. Um, Obviously, these are people who have businesses obviously outside of our platform, right? And so if you are thinking about Black History Month programming, I would recommend you think ahead and get on folks' calendar as soon as possible. Absolutely. I mean, and I, you know, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. We can enjoy and learn and experience African diasporic food outside of the month of February. All year round, baby. This is a thing that we should, could, yes. and can I, I do. I eat it all year round. I don't eat. I don't. I don't only eat the food on in February. I actually eat it all you year don't. round. No, oh. I don't. Actually, I know well, it's crazy. No eleven month fast for you. <laughs> I love that. Okay, yeah. well, thank you so much yeah. again. One other thing yes. I would say also to that point about it doesn't have to be just Black History Month. Um, you know, intersectionality is something that I believe is super important uh, on our platform. You can actually filter also by other identities, right? If you're looking for women-owned businesses, LGBT plus-owned businesses, et cetera, because um, there are other months that you can celebrate. And again, Black people exist in all shapes and forms. I love that. Okay, you you got it. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is like, um, I mean, so you know that I was in um, DEI for uh, quite some time. And this is like the DEI person's dream. Like it, it really is. It's just so many resources together. It's a thing that folks can enjoy doing together mm-hmm. and learning together and sharing personal experiences with each other. So connecting, it's just like, I mean, it's all there. The work is done. You just got to get on there and book it. So um, I am. I commend you for the work that you've done and just like appreciate it so much. Um, and yeah, let's get let's get it popping. Let's like I, <laughs> try to figure out how to get some food myself, um, but also yeah, get some folks to your platform for sure. So again, thank you so much for for being here. Um, I'll share the links and stuff and. Um, yeah, I wish we could send some food through the, through the podcast radio. <laughs> um, anything else you want to share, kind of closing out that you want folks to take with them? You know, eat well, you know, mm-hmm. think about where your food is coming from and the people, the makers behind that food. Um, and, you know, have a good Friday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening to us on Friday. Oh, okay. Well, whatever they do um, today. Today. <laughs> Have a beautiful day today. And yeah, I love that. Eat mindfully, eat, eat well. Like your food is becomes a part of you, literally. Yes, literally. Um, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs>